Welcome to our C3 Grow podcast. Wherever you are today, we hope that this message encourages you. We'd love to see you in person at one of our three locations, Howick, Ormiston, and Suva. Visit c3grow.org for details. Okay, well this morning, church, we're continuing uh, our series, uh, Wisdom from Above. We are walking through the book of James. So if you've got your Bibles with you now, you can start finding James. Uh, And we are considering wisdom. The whole book of James is full of so much wisdom that you can glean for your life, looking at what it means to walk wisely with God and with man. So today we are up to James 1. 16 to 18. That's where we're going to be reading from. Uh, Steve spoke here last week, uh, and one of the things that he said, one of his main points is that heavenly wisdom, that's what we're all about at the moment, heavenly wisdom, uh, it actually enables us to view our lives and our circumstances through a different perspective, through a heavenly perspective, from a true perspective. And it's usually uh, quite different uh, from the societal norm, from the way that uh, in our kind of flesh that we would view circumstances. We need God's wisdom to view our life correctly from an eternal perspective, from a true perspective. And so James, he calls us to live our lives with this heavenly wisdom. And that means that we constantly it's good and healthy for us to kind of take a step back and to view our life uh, from the big picture of what God is doing, not to get too bogged down when we have a hard day or a bad day or something's not working out. Don't let that become all-consuming. Take that step back and go, you know what? God is working in my life. I know where I'm going at the end of the day. Keep that big picture in mind. It's great life advice. So this morning I want to add to that, um, not only to view our life from the perspective of what God is doing, but to take that step back and to view our life and remember, think about who God is and what He is like. Who God is and what He is like. When we keep that Uh, in our mind when we think about our life, it's going to really help us because what God is doing is inextricably linked always to who He is and what He is like. God's character is everything. And so today in our text, we see this simple truth that God is good and He is overflowing with generosity towards you. That is what we're going to see this morning. That is God's character. He is good and he is overflowing with generosity for you. What good news, right? So let me read to you now, James 1, 16 to 18. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. We're going to kind of walk 
piece by piece through this passage this morning. So God is a giver. He is generous and he is extravagant. You can never outgive God. That's a bit of a cliche saying, but it is true. He is the ultimate giver. And so we've already learned in James uh, that God is never the source of any evil. And we saw that in last week's text. So this week we're going to build on that and see that God is the ultimate giver of every good gift. Everything good in your life is truly from Him. When we look right at the start of verse 16, this passage starts off by saying, do not be deceived. I think it's important that that is there. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. I think from that we can assume that it's actually possible to be deceived about this. Otherwise, why would he put that, right? And it is really important to not be deceived on this point. I think it's definitely possible and probable that James put this in his letter for a reason, right? Nothing written in the Word of God is accidental. I think he knew that there were some people there who actually had the wrong understanding about God's character. And mistakenly, they did not attribute the generous giving of good things in their life to God. And they mistakenly were attributing evil in their life to God. That will mess up your whole uh, faith if you have a misinformed concept of what God is like, of his character, of who he truly is. So it is very important. Do not be deceived. Don't get that round the wrong way. Every good gift, every perfect gift comes from God. He is not the instigator of any evil in your life. So our understanding is foundational to our faith. So James says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Now there's a sense in which all of creation, uh, we actually experience God's goodness together. This is what we call common grace. Common grace is the experience of good uh, that God bestows on all of humanity, regardless of whether people acknowledge him or not, uh, as creator and provider or not, God actually bestows this common grace on everyone. Let me read to you what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 43 to 45. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. So such is the generosity and love of God that he shows grace and kindness even to those who are his enemies. That's common grace. So there are all kinds of gifts which people enjoy, which are from God, whether they acknowledge him as the giver or not. And then there's also a sense here in which God is particularly and especially relating to those who are 
his children. Those of us who have accepted him by faith, we've been made his children by grace. To them, he shows himself to be more than a provider of common grace. To them, to us, he is a father. And Jesus taught that he is like a father, a perfect father who delights to give good gifts to his children. It's such an amazing truth. It's such an amazing truth. And it has to uh, always impact the way that we view God, always remembering he is a good and perfect father. Now, of course, uh, those of us who are parents know and we understand that uh, there is more to being a good gift giver uh, and there's more to giving good gifts to your children than giving them everything they want, right? Mm. Saying yes uh, to every request from your child uh, is actually the opposite of being a good gift giver. To be honest, it could be considered child abuse. Uh, the things that my children uh, <laughs> are asking for is not good for them. Uh, they want all kinds of things, and it would actually be terrible of me as a parent to continually say yes to them when they want their tenth bag of candy floss. All of that stuff is just no good for them. So, a good gift giver, you have to truly consider more than what the recipient wants, more than what they're asking for. We have to truly consider what is good for them, what is good for the recipient. The clear message of the New Testament is that God is really, really good at this kind of giving. We can trust him wholeheartedly to give us a good gift, what we truly need. And the word perfect here in verse 17, every good gift, every perfect gift is from above. It has an amazing meaning in Greek. And the word perfect here has this sense of the gift being good for the maturity and completeness of the recipient. Good for our maturity and completeness. I love that. I love that. And I was thinking too, as a parent, that's often what we're looking for when we give things to our children. We're trying to help them to grow and mature. And it's not to say that God is a boring gift giver or he only gives us what is practical with no thought for your delight. That is not true. His gifts hit the mark perfectly every time. He is good and generous. Now let's look back to our text and we're going to read a little bit further along. James says every good gift, every perfect gift is from above. And then he says that these gifts come down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. What does this say about what God is like? And what does that have to do with God's gifts? So I'm going to start by saying five things. So we're going to work our way through five things that God is not what we can learn from that little passage. And I think uh, most of all, this is to say that God is not unreliable. He's not fickle. He doesn't change or fluctuate. He's not kind of up and down and all over the place. 
You know what you're going to get. He is the same yesterday, today and forever. He's not all over the place. We're talking about a God who is unchanging. He is consistent and constant in his nature and character. He is trustworthy. And we know that his nature and his inclination, his heart towards you is generous. That means he is always consistently generous towards you. His nature is constant. He's not unreliable. Secondly, he is not unavailable. Me, on the other hand, I am far from a perfect mum. Sometimes I'm just not available for my kids. That is the reality. At the end of a long working day, I'm at the end of my patience, I'm peopled out, my kids come along, they are loud and boisterous, they're hanging off me, and sometimes I just have to tell them, hey, I love you, but mum's not available. Now is not a good time. I have to remove myself so that I'm not going to say or do something I'm going to regret. I just have to say sometimes, do you know what? Now is not a good time. That's the truth. But the truth about God and what this verse teaches us, it is always a good time with God because he is a perfect father. He is a perfect parent. Now is always a good time with him. His temperament is not up and down. He doesn't run out of patience. Now is always a good time with him. And the Bible says, do not be anxious about anything. Why? Because it's always a good time for him. So in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. He is the Father of lights with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. It is always a good time to connect with him. He's not unreliable. He's not unavailable. Let's add another thing to our list. The point of calling him the Father of lights is to say we are dealing with God, the creator of heaven and earth. For that reason, when you go to God as your Father with your requests, you will not find him unreliable, you will not find him unavailable, and you also won't find him unaware. You will never find God unaware, caught off guard. You will never catch him by surprise. He is omnis, omnis, I've got it wrong, omniscient, omniscient. I practiced that and it was fine all week. It's the microphone. He's omniscient, tongue twister. He knows what you need right before you say a word, but he loves listening and communing with you when you do share your requests and share your heart with him. I love this thought, you will never catch him unaware. Whatever you share, you're not going to shock God. You're not going to repulse God. It's impossible. He knows. You will never catch him unaware. Fourthly, you won't find him unable. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 8, And God is able to make all grace abound to you. He is able. Ephesians 3.20 says that he is able to do far more abundantly 
than all that we could ask or think. He is so able. I think our minds cannot quite comprehend that. We need to constantly, constantly remind ourselves whatever you might think to ask him, he can do it. Nothing is impossible for God. Nothing. He is not unable. So when we go to him with our requests, we won't find him unreliable. We won't find him unavailable. We won't find him unaware. We won't find him unable. And here is the fifth truth, perhaps the most amazing one. You won't find him unwilling. I'm often unwilling as a mum. I just can't, can't do it. Don't want to. Don't want to bounce on the tramp again. I don't want to. But your heavenly Father, he is so willing. And if he wasn't willing to be generous towards you, if that wasn't his constant inclination, it wouldn't really matter if he was reliable and available and aware and able, if he wasn't willing. It's kind of the most surprising and the most important point. He is willing, so willing. His willingness is such good news for us. And again, it doesn't mean, right, that he will always say yes to us or to our requests. But it does mean he is um, solely, he is 100% disposed to act for your good. That is the willingness of his heart. He is always there, ready to act for your good. What is going to mature you and bring you to completeness? So James says, Every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. God is reliable, available, aware, able, and willing. Truly the perfect Father. Now, in light of all that, let's consider verse 18, which says, Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Now, we talked about common grace, but there's nothing common about this. He's not referring here to an experience that is shared by all of mankind. He's talking about a particular work that God does for the believer. This is talking about the work of new birth, regeneration, which is the greatest gift of God. James, here in verse 18, he's saying what John also says, John 1, 9 to 13. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So both James and John, they both tell us that the work of being uh, born again was of his will, his God's will. 
I'm not wanting to wade into a theological debate about exactly how salvation is initiated. But regardless of exactly what you think about that topic, the willingness of God is required for anyone, for every person to be born again. If God was not willing, none of us would be born again, whether we desired it or not. It takes his willingness, his mercy, his grace. James says here, of his own will, he brought us forth. In other words, he gave us the gift of salvation because he wanted to. He delighted in it. He wasn't under any obligation to do it. He did it because he loves you. And it's an expression of his generosity and his love towards you. Let's look further on into 18. It says, Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth. So if new birth is the outcome, then the word of truth is the means. This is how it is done. And what does it mean here by the word of truth? There's probably a few possible answers to that, but this is the one uh, which I favour. I think he's talking specifically about the message of the gospel, the word of truth. People are born again, and faith comes upon hearing a particular message, a particular set of truths. That's generally why we like to conclude uh, our services with the same message the gospel message, that you are fallen. You are a sinner by nature and choice. In fact, all of us have fallen and are sinful. Sin separates us from God and from one another. And without atonement, without payment, sin leads to death and to eternal punishment. Jesus died on the cross to pay for your sins, for my sins, for all of mankind's sins. He then rose from the dead, overcoming death, so that through him, by faith, we could have new life, be washed clean. And if you put your faith and your hope and your trust in Jesus, he will forgive your sins and make you a new creation. You're no longer bound to live according to sin. Instead, you can be reconciled to God and you can have eternal life with him. That is the word of truth through which people are born again. And the integrity, the wholeness of that message is important. It's not quite the word of truth unless all of those necessary components are there. The whole gospel needs to be present. It's not the word of truth if half of it is missing. It must be shared and heard and believed in the entirety of it, the whole word of truth. For example, if we kind of skip uh, the bit about sin at the start, go straight to Jesus dying, rising from the dead, just put your faith in him, people might respond, but then over time it doesn't take too long for people to think, hang on a minute, why did Jesus have to die? What, why did I need saving? What did he even save me from? The integrity of the message is so important. The gospel, the word of truth. I hope that makes sense. People aren't saved from something vague by somehow or another for something. 
We are saved from sin through the word of truth. For, and the reason, here is the last bit in verse 18, to be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. In other words, James is saying to the readers, you are among the first to have been born again by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. But there's going to be many more. And here we are. Here we are. Paul writes in Ephesians 1, 11 to 14, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. We who heard that word of truth, the gospel of our salvation and believed in him, we have become new creatures, new creation, and were given the Holy Spirit. As we close now, I'm just going to reread our whole passage of Scripture. And I hope that it makes a little more sense and has some more meaning now than when we first read it. James 1, 16 to 18. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. I hope this morning that you are touched by the goodness and the generosity of God, your loving heavenly Father. And as I said right at the beginning, heavenly wisdom. It involves looking at ourself, looking at our life in light of that big picture of what God is doing, who He is and what He is like. Because what He is doing is always linked to who He is and what He is like. Thanks for listening. We hope this message has blessed you. For more information about our church, you can find us online at c3grow.org.